Welcome to Thrive Deeper, an ongoing conversation with Dr. Matthew Jacoby, author of the Thrive Bible Reading Guides, teaching pastor and leader of the Psalmist Band Sons of Korah. Join us as we go deeper into the Bible, discussing the passages as we read them together with Thrive. Now here's your host, DJ Payne. G'day and welcome to episode 26 of the Thrive Deeper podcast. It's your old pal DJ here. And I just want to extend a warm welcome to all new listeners and those returning. You have tuned in for a really interesting discussion where Matthew and I sit down and we cover your questions about the book of Zechariah. But before we get into that, we get into a lengthy discussion that grows out of a talk about the process of how Matthew does the Thrive Daily Reading Guide. And we land into a very interesting discussion about a new translation of the Bible called The Passion. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it somewhere in the middle? You're going to have to listen to the very interesting, lengthy discussion on that. That gets quite personal. Uh, You're going to really enjoy this week's podcast. So tune in. I'll be at the other end of the discussion to let you know how you can support everything that we do here. Thanks for tuning in. You're just on your phone today. You've gone, you've downscaled. I've downscaled, yeah. Well, you know, the last episode we were doing, uh, we, we went through Zechariah and yeah. I had so many notes. You had, you had laptop, I think iPads, books, shelves behind you, commentaries open. <laughs> not quite. <laughs> no, well, not, no. In, in effect, <laughs> yeah. in, in a digital sense. You had a digital plenty, library ready to yeah, go. I just had all, my, all of my notes embedded in the text yeah. uh, of the Bible software that I use. Well, we're in a bit of a predicament for, for this episode because we went so hard through yeah. Zachariah last episode. Yeah, we're ahead. We're ahead. We're pretty much ahead a week. Yeah. We're one week ahead. Yeah. So I thought it'd be great to, there has been a few questions come in mm. um, and uh, I thought it'd be great to go through the questions. But before we do that, there's been, I've noticed something and I want to get your hot take on it. Yeah. Okay. Know. I run a I run a small group, a life group, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and uh, you know we all struggle to keep through the thrive. Some weeks, people are ahead. Some people, some weeks, people are on t- on track, mm. and other weeks, you know, people are weeks behind and thinking, yeah. "I'll never catch up." Yeah. Should I even try to catch up, or do I just skip? Yeah. And I always say the same thing: just skip. Mm. Don't try to. Don't feel like it's your religious yeah. obligation to mm. have to go through. Just jump in where we where we are. Now, some people, I'm not going to mention any names, will go, look, I haven't been able to read the scripture parts of it, yeah. but I'm reading the daily devotional part of it, like Matthew's page on it. How does that make you feel? Uh, a little uneasy, <laughs> given, that, <laughs> given that when you put what I write beside the Word of God, yeah. um, I would prefer that you read the scriptures and leave what I say. Yeah. By far. Yeah. By far. Um, because what... You know what I put there is really uh, an addition. It, you know, it, it's 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 to help frame or help to apply or to explain what's happening in the scriptures. Mm. Look, re- reading reading the Bible is, is a it's a it's complex, and you know the idea of the Thrive Reading Guide is to do just that: is to help with interpretation and a- application. Mm. But it's really important that people read it for themselves uh, because I'm not. I'm not infallible, but the Bible is. Yep. So um, 
uh, yeah, do do please please read the the texts that that are assigned for each day because that really is the point. In fact, that's the heart behind the Thrive uh, Bible Reading Guide. Is um, you know there are a lot of de- devotional daily devotionals like that, and they butterfly around to different parts of the Bible, a verse here and a verse there. It's actually really important that we read the Bible sequentially through whole books. I mean, yep. you don't necessarily have to read. From Genesis to Revelation, but but I think reading whole books, so uh, the scriptures in context, is such a primarily important Christian discipline. So yeah. I would really um, exhort our listeners to do just that. Okay, mm. uh, to talk a little bit about the process, and I know we've mentioned it in the past, but how? I know you've been doing this for how long now? How long have you been writing Thrive for now? Oh man, eight eight. Eight years, maybe. I reckon yeah. even longer. Maybe longer, yeah. Yeah, maybe yeah. longer. These days, uh, we should we should know. We should have some sort of birthday celebration <laughs> day when it actually launched. The uh, w- what is the process for you? Like you, you're in the passages. You are studying the word. Mm. How do you decide where to break up the reading? Mm. And how do you decide out of everything that might be contained? I'm sure that there are some days where you go, mm. "Oh my goodness, there's 400 points I could pull out of this chapter." Or yeah. there's one other days where I'm like, man, I'm covering off five chapters of reading. Or I don't know, it's genealogies. Yeah. Where do, yeah. what, what spiritual application can I make from this? Yeah, um, it's I, I I try to well I try to make the readings achievable for each day. That's the first thing. Yeah. Uh, in some cases, I'll zoom in more and, and dwell in certain areas uh, where where I feel like it's particularly significant. Um, and uh, it's there's also the factor that you know, like for example, if I want to cover, say, the Book of Exodus or whatever, in a, in a, an edition which is a three month three month edition, I've also got that oh, yes. to work with as well. Yeah, you know, uh, but and, and that's actually important too because you know I I I, I want to, I'd like to keep moving. Actually, I think this is important. Uh, it, it's it's great to. I mean, you could study a book, one book of the Bible, for, for years and just mm. stay in that. But, but I think, I think it's important to keep to keep moving through as well. So I like to keep a bit of movement there. So it's achievable chunks. Um, some some are, some chunks are bigger because the message is in the big chunk. Yes. Um, sometimes we can zoom in uh, and take our time with bits. Now, as we go through the Thrive Daily Reading in the guide, how long? How many years? Will it take for us to cover the entire Bible? I think it's about a five or six year cycle. Okay, which is pretty good. I mean, it, uh, like th- that's a fairly leisurely cycle. Yes, and, and I think it should be. It's not about getting to the end and saying, "Yep, read the Bible." Yeah. Now I'm going to go off to someone something else. Yeah. No, actually, uh, a careful um, uh, read through Scripture. You know, I think that's about. I think that's about right. Yeah, really, and it's it, and it the, obviously, and tell me if I'm wrong here, Matt. Part of it is that real meditative discipline of wanting to not get into the to the absolute core of your being, the practice that you're in the scriptures, mm. and when you come back to them, it's not oh I've read this before, but it's like what is it, what am I going to see this time? Like like yeah, that yeah. that anticipation, <clears throat> and yeah. then eventually. You start to it starts to shape the way you think and you view yeah. and you start thinking in the things yeah. that you've read. Yeah. So, so the next time you come back to it, I mean, you're going to, you, you, I mean, you 
just by the fact that you've read so much other stuff because scripture interprets scripture. So if you read through the whole Bible, let's say you read Genesis to Revelation the first time, and then you go back and start Genesis, I guarantee you're going to see new (laughs) things in Genesis because you've read everything afterwards, Mm. you know, and then you're going to read it again. And then because the the more you familiarize yourself with the whole, uh, the more you get out of the bits. Yeah, 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 totally. One last thing about the actual reading and the process of doing the, um, you know, the Thrive Reading, uh, my mind almost went down a total rabbit trail then. Like I literally <laughs> walked down a rabbit trail in my mind in about one second and thought, do, do I go down there? I'll come back. You know what? Let's do it. Let's do it. Let me take, get your take. I'll cut this if it's no good. Okay. There, there's a practice, uh, you know, for some people. I don't practice this yeah. at all, but like I, I read a novel once that just articulated it beautifully about, the, you know, um, the, the ultimate power was these people creating mind palaces in their mind, yeah. you know, and, and this met in this total serious application of literally building room by room, decoration by decoration, mm. everything that they happened, everything that they read and everything like that, they placed in their mind palace. So when they went into meditation, they would walk through their mind, the mind and then go, hang on, I didn't leave that there. Who and they would find oh this book is now the set. weirdest thing I've ever. Heard. Yeah, no, no, okay, like, yeah, bear with me. What is what bear rabbit with... trail are you going down? No, here? No, no, this is no, ridiculous. No, no, but it was like it was like the point. The point. It was it, it, again. This is not a Christian idea whatsoever. Okay. Yeah, okay. Okay. So but of course you read the book. Yeah, of course, okay, of course. Yeah. It's in a it's in a fantastic so my, book. My, my take DJ seriously uh, meter is is <laughs> running pretty low right now. So you better bear, resurrect bear yourself. Bear with me. It's in the in one of the most amazing books I've ever read. One of my favorites called Little Big. And um, the the person the person in there the power for them was to come come back into their mind and see what had been moved and what had been had been moved next to and then it was like almost and again forgive me for this it was almost like a mystical art to go okay how come this memory i have of this is now placed on this shelf there must be something bigger here and they would okay, solve yeah, you know yeah, yeah. there's all this again crazy right, yeah, yeah. rabbit trail there yeah. i my, i just went down that rabbit trail by my mind because it was like reading the scripture for me now yeah especially the Old Testament, especially the Old Testament with these stories, it's almost like the stories are living in my mind. When I come back to them, I see different angles. Like I'm I'm, I'm almost, for the first time I read it, I was a thousand meters in the air. Yeah. And or this time I've read it and I'm standing in the doorway. Yeah. Yeah. And this time I'm reading it, I am the character in the story or or it changes as I read it different times. I sort of come through, I come back to it with these different angles. Yeah. And it is it is such a beautiful living thing that I've never yeah. I, I'm beginning to experience now in my you know mid to late forties mm. that I've never experienced it before because I couldn't yeah and 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 this is this I think is the uniquely amazing thing about the whole story of the Bible mm. is that it is our story like it, it is it is the narrative I, I think we can put ourselves in there and say this is this is us because it's. Yeah. Uh, because what is recorded there is recorded there because it has uh, universal relevance. Okay. Because it says really profound things about human nature. Mm. It's not just about things that happened. It's about things that happen. It's about things that um, uh, characterize the way that humans respond and the things that we respond and the things that we struggle with. And so, um, it and and also it's the overarching story of of God and his relationship with human beings. Mm. And we are in that story. Like this is our story. And so there's a sense in which we can own the story in that Mm. sense, but also 
the story provides a sort of meta narrative for our lives, oh. and 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 we we can use that story to sort of map where we are, you know, and, right and, and say, I, I am Joseph in in yes. prison right now. Yep. I am, and 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 actually, you know, how do you know that a map uh, is is like is accurate? Well, you go. Like follow the map, and you'll see. And actually, it it it's amazing every time. Yeah. It just maps our experiences, like, yeah. and this is the beauty of it. And I think that's where that experience of coming back to it, uh, because uh, you are more and more uh, related to that story, and, and your relationship to the story grows as you grow. Yeah. Yeah, I love it. I love it. That's fantastic. That map, I know you love the map uh, analogy for scripture, you know, the metaphor. Yeah. Uh, you know, I, well, the- I, I love it because um, one of the things I believe is that scripture is self-authenticating uh, like a map. Yes. You know, a map is self-authenticating. By that I mean if if you want to see that a map is true, then actually follow it yeah. and see if it takes you to the place, uh, you know, to, to the destination. and. Yeah. and and scripture is like that. It's like do what it says, like Jesus says in Matthew, uh, in John seven seventeen. You know, if anyone does, basically paraphrase, does what I say, then you'll see that what I'm saying is yeah. of God. It's it's and but I, I, now we all think of. I mean, we were raised on paper maps, but now maps are all digital on our yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And but I think the I think the <laughs> yeah. metaphor still rings true because you know when you, the first thing you do a lot of times with the with the phone when you pull out the uh, you know you pull out your map is you hit this you hit the where am I button like the center button you want the map to recenter itself yeah around where you are and I think yeah. I think for me coming back to the scriptures time and time again it really it's like me hitting that you know recenter the map please where am I in this yeah. And it swivels around in the right position. Like, oh, okay, this is where I'm heading. This yeah, is that's the right. Way. You know, so, so if you're using the wrong map for the for the rights, there's a classic story about a mutual friend of ours who went to uh, Cairo, and and he was he had a map with him in the taxi. This is back in the day, and and he was trying to, uh, uh, I think it was in in Cairo, and and he was the taxi driver just could not work out. Like, was driving all over the place, and. And, uh, you know, he thought this guy's ripping me off and, yeah. and has, has this big argument with a taxi driver and, and, and gets out of the taxi. And, and then he looks at the map and realises the map actually wasn't for Cairo, it was for Alexandria. And so it's no wonder that the, <laughs> that the, that the map, that the taxi driver was yeah. confused, right? Yeah. Because he's looking at the map and it's not consistent with what's around him, yeah. okay? Now, one of the things with Scripture is that... Uh, that the the biblical worldview is the best way of making sense with the things that are the best way of making sense of the things yeah. that are happening around us in yeah. the world. Yeah. It's the it's the it's the best uh, worldview. It's the best story. It's it's a story that makes the best sense mm. of all of the circumstances of all of the evidence around us. So, um, as well as making the best sense of our lives, as well as we follow this. Uh, we get the best outcome. So in a number of different respects, mm. um, it's not just a matter of saying, well, it's true because it works. I mean, that overly pragmatist approach, it, like that has some validity, but uh, limited. It's actually more than that. It's about it actually, when you assume, when you look at the world and um, and what's going on in human nature, and or if you look, look at it through the lens of this, map, you think, oh, okay, this makes sense. Mm. Mm. Uh so in that sense, I think it's a good metaphor. Yeah, that's great. Uh, okay. <laughs> moving, moving, on, moving on out of the metaphor, 
do you have a preference when we're doing the Thrive Daily Readings and we're moving through the, the through the passages every day mm. and keeping on track <clears> with the reading? Is there a particular preference? I mean, we we've spent like we spent one episode, nearly half the entire episode, talking about translations. We don't want to do that. Yeah. Again. yeah. But are there translations that you think mm. are better than others? Should we, you know, is there any guidance yeah. towards that? Uh, I, I think I think some translations are uh, better than others. Um, the best translations are translations that are the work of a committee, of a like generally a, a, a well, broad, well-picked committee of yes. scholars, because there's a sense of because this is the Bible, you know, mm. we, we like. We are subjective, and and there's a sense of accountability. Like let's be accountable and the, accountable to each other. And you know, um, translations like the ESV and the NIV and and others are translated by pretty much all of the all of the the most widely used, uh, with some exceptions. Um, all of the wi- most widely used translations are the work of committees of of, of, of you know, like sometimes dozens. Uh, dozens of people, yeah. and so you know, uh, decisions get put out there, and they get peer reviewed from people of different backgrounds, and so yeah. so that so that the because there's always there's you know there's an interpretive element, mm-hmm. particularly in the more dynamic translations. Mm-hmm. You know, translations work the more literal word for word ones, and then there's the thought for thought ones. Um, you know, the more you go up the thought for thought end, the more accountability is needed. Like, for example, it, it might there might be a passage, and let's just make up something. You know, uh, the dog came in and was feeling sad, yeah. and and the the reviewer might put it out and saying, look, the word for sad in this language could be translated sad, dejected, yeah, unhappy, yeah. like a few different ways. Yeah. It's it's been readily accepted. All of that. What do we all vote on? It's sort of like a voting thing. Like, what do you yeah. think it is, or what? It, why do you back up what you're saying? Yeah. Well, well it's collective. It's, uh, it's it's a collective decision, and it's it's meant to weed out any particular theological slant that one might want to put on it. It's allowing the text to, um, uh, I guess, just to say what it's saying. Um, you know, it, it it can be complicated, but it's you know, the, the, the there is. Uh, I think uh, I think the the better translation, you know, like the um, uh, ESV is a more word for word one. I mean, I, I like the word for word translations because they get me closer to the text, mm-hmm. um, and it leaves it to me then to interpret what it means. But for maybe the thought for thought ones, yep. uh, they do a bit of the work for you, and that's actually important for people who are maybe. Um, reading the Bible for the first time, and, yeah. and it, it actually it helps a little bit. Okay, now what about, I know what is very popular, and we hear this all the time, a lot of times in the questions is, listen, I've been reading this translation, and I think they're getting the word wrong, yeah. the message, I've been reading this translation, the Passion Bible, I've been yeah, ju- yeah. and I'm like, well, hang on, are they really translations? Well, well the, message, the message isn't a, tr- a translation. In fact, Eugene Peterson certainly didn't intend it to be. Yeah. Uh, and that's that's a key thing. Uh, mm. he, he intended it to be a, um, I suppose a uh, a kind of reflection on what the Bible was saying. So it's what's what you would call a paraphrase. Yeah, a paraphrase. Yeah. And it's a very dynamic paraphrase. So so I, I don't think you can you can put your hand on the. Well, you certainly can't. And Eugene would say the same. Eugene Peterson, the yeah. writer of the message, mm. would would say as much. You can't put your hand on the message and say this is the word of God. Mm. Now, this is a paraphrase of the word of God. This is one man's interpretation yeah. of. Yeah. Now, the the Passion translation is problematic um, because it it certainly is a paraphrase. 
like it adds whole slabs of uh, here and there. And when I mean like a you know phrase or a sentence, I mean that's a lot. Yeah, it's not just a word or an extra, mm. but whole sentences that aren't there in the original yep. uh, as a way of explaining. And so so it's it's certainly paraphrasing. Uh, but it, it's calling itself a translation, and um, now why is, it, is it, isn't it the work of one man? Isn't it the work of one person? Yeah, it is. Um, it is the work of one person, and and I think for me that's a problem uh, because there's there's not really any accountability to mm. that. And and yeah, his name is uh, Brian Simmons. Brian Simmons. Okay. Brian Simmons is the sole translator or paraphraser of yeah, the okay. Passion. Well, paraphraser, uh, yes. I, I would I would say. Um, I mean that's to me uh, to me that's a problem. It's a problem to call uh, a Bible a translation when it's a paraphrase, mm. um, because I think it misleads the reader. It, it means that the reader can, you know, treat it like the word of God, word of God, and and actually it's a paraphrase of it. So I, I know I know that sounds pedantic, but this is important because we're dealing with scripture. Well, let me give you which an is example. The foundation can, of our faith. Can I give you an example? Yeah. We'll do, do this live here. Psalm eighteen one. Uh, which is, you know, Mr. Scholar of the Psalms over here, you'll recognize this. Mm. Psalm 18.1 in the NIV says, I love you, Lord, my strength. Yeah. Simple. ESV, I love you, O Lord, my strength. And the old KJV, uh, the King James, I will love thee, O Lord, my strength. This is what the Passion Translation says. This is what it's called. The tra- I'm using translation mm. because the Passion Bible says, Lord, I passionately love you. I want to embrace you. For now, you've become my power. That's adding wow. quite a yeah, lot. That's, that, that's, that's <laughs> adding a lot, and and that's like it's true. I mean, yes. I, you know, I, I have this is not this is the thing. I, I don't I don't ever think it's it's not true. It's just that it's calling itself a translation, and yet it's doing that. So so you know, Eugene Peterson does things like that, but he's mm. not calling the message a uh, a translation. Mm. And and this this I think um, this I think is a problem. Um, so there there are lots of, um, uh, you know, there there are lots of examples like that uh, where you know whole phrases uh, are added. Um, I mean, I've got a few examples here, um, but. I mean, it's you know, for example, Galatians six one talks about you know, uh, you know, someone is caught in sin or you know something like that is, mm-hmm. and, and the Passion translation goes if someone um, has been overtaken with a fault and has fallen from the place of victory. Okay, like, um, like that's that's kind of really popular. Lingo now, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and and like yes, that's tri- fallen from the place of victory. I mean, uh, the the issue with that is that it's not there in the text. Mm-hmm. Great, true. If you sin, you, you 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 know, I mean, I mean that could be problematic. Fallen from the place of victory, uh, you know. I mean, I mm. so. Y- you could have people saying this is a translation, so let's analyze that. Well, it's yeah. not even there in the original. So, yeah. Um, uh, so, uh, yeah, there, there, there are a number. I mean, even um, uh, let me have a look here. So, for example, you know, in uh, Galatians two verse nine, you know, Paul says that I might live for God. This has been translated so that I can live for God in heaven's freedom. Like, great. 
uh, yet we live in, in heaven's fruit. I mean, I'm not exactly sure, like, I kind of get what, because it's very now language, I, I sort mm-hmm. of get that. Mm-hmm. But the fact is the in heaven's freedom bit, it's, just, it's not there in the original text. And, um, and, and a lot of these things aren't really even, a, like they, they might, I think the argument is made that they're implied or, but I mean, goodness, like if you go down that, that road, um, then it becomes very subjective about what's uh, implied. Um, it, it, look, it, it, is a, it is a problem, a translation just made by one, uh, one person, um, this is why committees uh, are important. Yeah. Translation committees. If if there's any, you know, if there's any um, need for a translation committee, it's like uh, it, it is when it comes to translating the Bible yeah. because yeah. it's just so important that we get this right. There's also there's a there's a interesting um, claim about being based on the Aramaic. Uh, on Aramaic versions of the Bible, this, this, mm. the, the claim is it's it's a it's a strange claim, and it's completely unsupported by the um, scholarly community on the whole. Uh, the idea that the Aramaic is somehow a better um, reflection on the original text. Mm. Now, the original text of the New Testament was written in Greek. Um, now we know that Jesus spoke Aramaic, but the original text that you know that uh, uh, you know Luke and and, and the others wrote, as well as the writings of Paul, hmm. um, were written in Greek um, because that was the common tongue of the time. And these translations were to go out to everywhere. I mean, it's in fact, it's one of the beauties of the New, of the New Testament period is that, that there was this Koine Greek, what's known as common Greek, which, yeah. is, uh, which is like what English is today in terms of a sort of international language. Mm, mm. Um, now, the claim is made for this... That the, the Aramaic is somehow more, I mean, more accurate. Well, the Aramaic uh, translations that we have, they go back to the fifth century. I mean, that's a long time after the original. Mm. And and the, this, it's it's a strange claim that somehow this gets us behind the Greek. It's almost like a strange version of Gnosticism. That's like, yeah. well, the Greek, uh, you know what, uh, you know what Paul wrote down, and 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 uh, this is, uh, you know. That the Aramaic gets us even behind that, you know, yeah. to some secret meaning or some special well, thing behind that. Uh, I think we're on really shaky ground. Well, I, I agree with you, and and this is my a little bit more of my bias uh, showing here with the with the sole author here, Brian Simmons, of the Passion, is that right from the very beginning, and a lot of the interviews you can see with uh, you know with him talking about the translation, he's pretty blunt in saying that this was. Uh, you know, Jesus promised to give him special revelation. Uh, Jesus promised to give him special understanding about the Hebrew language. Uh, and it was actually Jesus himself who commissioned him to write it. And that that's the tradition of how he, of that type of church that he's grown up, you know, that type of okay. wanting that new, you know, a new revelation, a new, you know, new movement. And so he's answering, you know, sort of that, you know, that call in that type of tradition that is going on now. Okay, let, let- so I've got, I've yeah, got, okay, I've got, right, yeah. let, let me, let me, I've got let me, issues. That, let me talk to that this way. I, I you know, I, I, I'm no stick in the mud, mm. you know, like I'm no stick in the mud conservative. Like, I mean, I, I am. That's my job. <laughs> right. <laughs> I mean, you know, like even in a, like, like I, um, like I actually, as as you know, DJ, mm. and we talk about this a lot. I mean, yeah. my my I have a, a 
ongoingly a very what you, you'd probably call very charismatic experience. You mm. know, I mean, and that is a that actually is a very important part uh, of my life. So, so I feel like the the whole you know, the, the fruits of the charismatic movement, I, I have seen that massively in my life and I, and I appreciate that mm. from, you know, the, uh, you know, the prayer language that, that, that I uh, use and to, you know, the, the prophetic elements and like I, I really appreciate uh, all of that. So I'm like I'm, I'm, I'm with that and I've drawn a lot from the, you know, Pentecostal tradition. Um, there, there is a – with every movement there, there are dangers, you know, and um, – the, the the danger here is that, I mean that. See, this is how cults start. Mm. This is how new. This is how new offshoots of. It's like I've had some special revelation, uh, and now I'm going to interpret the Bible uh, in the light of that, and actually even produce an alternative Bible. I mean, this mm. is this is like the New World trend, like the Jehovah's Witness translation mm. or the other translations that have been. Uh, now, now I'm not like Brian. I, I think. Um, Sorry, what's his name again? Brian Simmons. Uh, Brian, look, I'm sure he's a great guy and mm. got a real, you know, relationship with God and and um, and and, and may, you know, and I'm not going to question his calling or, or, but I just am concerned about the result and the way that it's been marketed. Like, sure, okay, do that, mm. but then call it a. Call paraphrase. it a paraphrase. Yeah. Don't call it a translation because it's not a translation. I, I That's would, just not true. Yeah, and I would go as far as to say and be honest about it and say, this is a this is a paraphrase that I that I think holds well with my charismatic Pentecostal tradition. So yeah. when I when I re-paraphrase, you know, proof text for us like you know this passage in Corinthians yeah, yeah. or when it talks about speaking tongues, and I'm going to use whole new sentences and add in all these yeah. clarifications in there that aren't in the original languages, you need to be honest and say, this is what I think, this is what I feel, yeah. not this is a translation given to me by God. Uh, this yeah, should be I mean, in the there, Word. There are so many problems with it. I hardly yeah. know where to begin. I mean, um, like we, we are to measure prophecy by Scripture, oh. not use prophecy to add to Scripture, for goodness sake. I mean, how, how, you summed that up you, perfectly there. I mean, and then it just becomes so arbitrary. So there's just this danger mm. in in this movement and and the emphasis on the, the prophetic and and which is which can be wonderful, but it all, you know, it it needs to happen in, um, it needs to happen in accordance with the scriptures. It needs to even everything that Jesus did was in accordance with the scriptures. How many times does it say that in the you know yeah. you know, uh, so, um, you know, we we need to. We need to make sure that we are building ourselves on the authority, the apostles and the prophets, and uh, and and not adding or taking away, as is the um, the, in, the command in both Moses and the end of Revelation. Look, you know, it's a serious business, and yep. um, as I said, I, I don't I don't see. Uh, well, well I, I have limited exposure. I mean, I'm limited exposure to translation, but I have looked into it yep. uh, a bit. There's Nothing that I have seen that I would say is doctrinally wrong. Yes, it's the it's the idea of uh, how much is added to the actual text itself, and then the fact that it's calling itself a translation. Yeah. Anyway, bandied on enough about that. Uh, 
this this is important because it's the Bible, right? We have to protect the original. Yeah. Uh, I mean, we have such abundant witness to the original Greek text, mm. the thousands and thousands of ancient texts mm. going right back to, you know, 130 AD. I mean, texts wear out. And, mm. you know, like, you know, the writings of Plato or something, you, you might have for one of the writings of Plato, like seven ancient texts. Mm. And they say, well, that's enough. Uh, to testify, because if those texts agree, then it's enough to testify uh, mm. to the original. We have thousands, thousands of the mm. New Testament. We, we, we can uh, we can reconstruct that without any problem. There's no uh, there's no issue with getting back to the original. Uh, when it comes to translation, uh, we we really need to uh, either stick close to the text, or if you're going to do uh, dynamic stuff, it really needs to be in accountability and be done very carefully. So in the end, we'll say talk to your pastor. Talk to you. Talk, talk to your teaching elder, whoever, whatever church you're at. Do a little bit of homework, and if you do choose a paraphrase or something to go down, down, you know, into, or you want to have a look at the passion, go in there with eyes wide open, yeah. understanding what you're getting into, what the background is, and and you know maybe just take it, take it a little bit more, uh, you know, in the world's bigger picture there yeah. to understand what you're getting into. Yeah. Good advice. Okay, the uh, moving on. Let's get into. Uh, let's finish up this episode with a handful of questions here about Zachariah that have come in. First question: I've, I this is from DJ Payne. Little, uh, you know, uh, first time, uh, long time listener, first time caller. Uh, Zachariah or Zachariah? What is the correct pronunciation? I keep flip flopping between the two. I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> because it is written, you know, it's written with an e, Zachariah. But most yeah. people pronounce it Zachariah. Uh, yeah, I, 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 I say it more with the E, but, you know, I went to, uh, when I went to Israel at the start of the year, I had my pronunciations for the names and, and our Hebrew guide uh, would say them completely different. And I would say, sorry, what, what was that? And, and, you know, she would repeat the word, oh, and I would say, oh, it's, you know, whatever, whatever yeah. the word was. Um, and then she would step in and say, oh, Okay, so, so I meant this. And I said, no, 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 no. Keep saying it the way that you say it because that's more likely. I want to learn that yeah, way. That, that's probably the right way to say yeah, it. So yeah. uh, I'm, I'm, when it comes to uh, pronunciation, not always sure. All right. So I'm going to stick with it's probably Sorry. Yeah, exactly. Apologies. <laughs> Let you down there. Apologies to all our Hebrew yeah. uh, speakers yeah. there. And uh, send through my apologies to Mr. DJ Payne. Yeah, exactly. I will. I will. Uh, Zechariah 3, 1 to 2. Uh, is that opening of that amazing, um, you know, vision that, you know, where it has, uh, you know, about the priest Joshua, uh, him being anointed and all that yeah. type of stuff and clothed and everything. Uh, in the first couple of chapters, there, it, refers, it refers to Satan. Mm-hmm. Um, now, is this, who is this? Is, and is he in heaven? Is he, what is Satan doing there in part of this vision? Why is he there? And is it the Satan that we know, you know, is it, is it the devil? Yeah. Is it fallen Lucifer? Who is it? Yeah. Okay. So this is in a vision, and um, 
it's uh, it's possibly in a sleeping vision. Uh, be, uh, anyway, because um, there are a couple of different things happening there. Let's let's just call it a vision. Hmm. Um, and so it's not necessarily in heaven. He just sees this vision of of um, the angel of the Lord with Satan standing at his right side, um, accu- sorry, at the right side of Joshua, hmm. uh, accusing him. Um, this is a this is a vision of a you know ever present reality, and the accuser's doing his work. He's accusing God's people, um, and uh, so, so this is actually what Satan does. However, this is a vision. Yes, you know it, it's it's like a um, like that was probably you know that that is happening, um, uh, but Zechariah sees this as a sort of scenario, very clear scenario, that he he sees Satan, he sees Joshua, the angel of the Lord, uh, shows him this, and um, uh, sorry, the angel of the Lord's there and, and with Joshua and. Um, and this is meant to illustrate something yes. uh, because what God is going to do is he's going to take away the guilt. He's going to reinstate Joshua, who stands for um, the uh, the Jewish people at that point in that representative role as the mm-hmm. high priest. Uh, we talked about this before. And he's going to reinstate him. It's, it's the act of forgiveness and yes. reinstatement. Okay, And and so the, the accusations are annulled because God says, I am f- there's forgiveness, grace, forgiveness, mm. and then there's reinstatement. Okay, and we've spoken about this is actually really profound. Yes, uh, because of its you know connection to the great high priest who was also Yeshua, yep. same name, um, and uh, and and it's just so beautifully gospel centered. This section, yeah, yeah, yeah. exactly, exactly, yeah. and also it fits into the rest. I mean, talking about scripture being you know interpreting scripture and fitting into the rest of yeah. scripture, consistent with who yeah. Satan is portrayed over yeah. again and again yeah, that's and again. Right. Yeah. The accuser of, yeah. you know, the accuser, accuser of the brethren. That's exactly. right. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, okay, moving right on. We've got a question uh, that's come in. Just wondering what happened to the Philistine people group, the Philistines, and not only them, but also, you know, all those old people groups that we yeah. read throughout the Old Testament. They're mentioned in Zechariah. We don't really, there's not no, the country of the Philistines no. anymore. No, there's not. Uh, well, um, and, and neither would there have been a Jewish people either. Um, were it not for the fact that they kept their identity in exile. Remember, they were shipped out to Babylon um, in, uh, around 600 BC uh, when the Babylonians conquered that whole area. And uh, from that point on, um, that whole area was under the under the fist of, well, it was first the Assyrians, actually. I mean, Judah managed to hold out against the Assyrians, as we know from the story of Hezekiah. Yeah. But once the Babylonians became the prominent power, they did uh, take over the whole area. And so uh, the, the Philistines, along with the other smaller nations, were destroyed. And um, with the exception of um, uh, of the city of Tyre, so the Phoenicians held out actually until the time of Alexander the Great. Wow. Um, uh, because of the, the geography and they managed to uh, resist. Um, so, yeah. The Philistines, as well as all those other nations, they kind of disappear around the time of the Babylonian conquest. And so they just get absorbed into the peoples, you know. And look, certainly at the time, by the time of Christ in the first century, there were probably Aramaic speaking peoples um, in in the area who possibly were descendants of the Philistines, 
but would not have thought about themselves as Philistines. They were yeah. just part of the Roman Empire. Yes. Uh, and, uh, you know, there's, there would have been intermarriage and um, which would have blurred all the boundaries between those between those people groups by the first century. Like now, of course, the difference is the different. The reason why there's a distinctly Jewish people is because of their strict laws against intermarriage, mm. which wasn't the case with the other peoples. Yeah. yeah. Okay. So much like us today, us Gentiles, the majority of us yeah, listening yeah. Gentiles, you know, our great 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 grandfather. Like, who oh, knows? we're a mixture of everything. Yeah, I mean, who this knows is where, where they are? Everyone's doing the ancestry stuff, <laughs> and, you know, or whatever the you know the the DNA tests yes. and and finding out that you're a bit of everything. Yeah. Um, uh, well, uh, yeah, that's. I mean, the, the Philistines uh, sort of disappeared as a distinct entity, um, you know, after probably 600 BC. Okay, last last question for the episode, and you and you sort of touched on it a little bit uh, before. Is when we read Zechariah, and you know, his 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 prophecies are very directly related to a lot of. Are they dreams? Are they visions? Are they insights? Mm. You know, is the is the Lord coming? Is he being sucked away into another mm-hmm. dimension physically, or is he laying in a bed and seeing it in his mind? What is going on? What do you think is actually physically and mentally going on with him here? Yeah, we don't have a lot of information in Zechariah actually. Like for example, in Ezekiel, we do. You know how is uh, it's said of Ezekiel that he was sort of whisked away mm. in the spirit. You know, uh, and by that inner vision. Um, whereas we're not given the same sort of detail in Zechariah. But it looks at one point like because he has a vision in the, in the middle of the night and then it's and at a certain point it says the angel woke me up. Mm. Um, so whether uh, – but, but again, uh, it may be that he – yeah, that was asleep or did he take him from one vision to another vision? It's actually difficult to know. Yeah. Uh, the point is, is he had a vision. Uh, some of them may have been – at least some of them may have been uh, dreams, mm-hmm. um, but a, a lot of them were just straight visions. So is that something then? Okay, like waking visions. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, is that some? Okay, so let's go practical here. Is that something that we should be chasing after? Like, or should we be going? I had this dream. I'm the next Zechariah. This is what you know. Like God's telling me in something. What makes his distinct? Than me having a nightmare or you know whatever, or okay, daydreaming, okay, all right, yeah, or daydreaming about okay, something. Right. Um, well, the first thing that makes it distinct is that he was uh, an authorized prophet of God who wrote down these words and they became scripture. Right? That's that's the first. <laughs> okay. That's the really important thing uh, that that you know the church is built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets. Mm-hmm. Now, foundation gets laid and it becomes uh, paradigmatic for everything else afterwards, and that that is the role by prof- apostles and prophets. Mm-hmm. When Paul talks about the church being built on the foundation of apostles and prophets, talking about uh, old and new, you know the old and new testament. Yeah. So the um, uh, e- even though at the time when Paul wrote that the New Testament. Uh, canon had not been organized, but yes. the, when the canon was organized, it was around that idea. Mm. It was organized around that idea. That was the writings of the apostles. So um, that's the first thing. Zechariah was an authorized prophet of God yep. um, and uh, you know, scripture writing prophet. That's unique. None of us will have that. Uh, you know, I, I think uh, I think God can I think God can speak to us. God can. It's silly. Let me say, put that another way. Um, I think that God will uh, speak to people at times through dreams and visions. Mm. Um, uh, I don't. 
I don't think we should go chasing that. What I think we should go chasing is what God wants to say to us. Like that's what, you know, God is always speaking to all of us, right? Yes. And in whatever form, like, uh, and, and I believe, uh, I believe that, you know, the scriptures are the ultimate sort of um, discernment sort of filter that we put all of that through. And God does, he speaks primarily through his word that kind of lays the foundation upon, but then, you know, God will use circumstances, he'll speak to us through other people. I mean, I, I feel like, uh, I, I reckon it's good to assume that God is teaching me through everything that happens to me, like everything that happens, God is at work and he's teaching me. Mm. Uh, so it, it would be silly to then pursue one form of that because it was a bit more sensational or, you know, like there are people that go, I want that vision, I want that dream, I want God, God speak to me through that. And it's like, well, God's talking to you right now, you're not yeah. listening, right? Yeah. Uh, um, so I, I think we should absolutely pursue um uh, you know, the voice of God into our lives, but not necessarily a, a particular form of it. But as I said, I mean, uh, you know, God speaks to us in all sorts of different ways and that those may be included. However, I think the nature uh, and the sort of authority of the dreams and visions that Zechariah have are of a different, at a completely different level in terms of their authority. As I like to say it, that is episode 26 and the book of Zechariah in the can for now. Thank you so much for listening. Uh, now, make sure you keep on listening and you hear Benita, the lovely voiceover lady, telling you how to get in contact with us and where our home on the internet is. We love hearing from you. But I have a massive favor to ask of you. If you have been enjoying this podcast, can we please ask you to spend two minutes of your time and head over to iTunes. That's right, Apple's iTunes. And in the podcasting section where they list all the podcasts, have a look for the Thrive Deeper podcast. And please rate us five stars and give us a glowing review. I know that sounds silly, but it really helps us be discovered by other people. So until next time, this has been DJ Payne on behalf of the entire Thrive Deeper family saying thank you for tuning in. We'll see you next week. Thank you so much for listening to Thrive Deeper. We value all our listening community. If you are on Facebook, search and like Thrive Today page to get all of our latest updates. Our home on the internet is at thrivetoday.net.au. There you can subscribe to the Thrive Daily Reading Guide and contact us directly. That's at thrivetoday.net.au. Until next time, Thrive. Thrive.